Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and as promised last week, we will continue our celebration of Black History Month. This week, we're going to talk about someone who is very important in Black history, and that is Rosa Parks. Rosa Louise Macaulay Parks was born February 4th, 1913. She was born in Tuskegee, Alabama, to Leona, who was a teacher, and her father, James Macaulay, who was a carpenter. In addition to her African ancestry, one of Parks' great-grandfathers was said to be Scotch-Irish, and one of her great-grandmothers was part Native American slave. When she was little, she was not very healthy and had chronic tonsillitis. Her parents ultimately separated, and she moved with her mother to Pine Level, which was just outside of the state capital, Montgomery. She grew up on a farm with her grandparents, and they were all members of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, a century-old independent Black denomination founded by free Blacks in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the early 19th century. As a young child, she attended rural schools until the age of 11. But before that, she was taught by her mother about sewing and how important it was. At that time, she started piecing together quilts, and it was said she put together her first quilt by herself at the age of 10. While a student at the Industrial School for Girls in Montgomery, Rosa took academic and vocational courses. She then went on to a laboratory school set up by the Alabama State Teachers College for Negroes to get her secondary education. She dropped out, though, in order to care for her grandmother and later her mother after they became ill. During this time, new constitutions and electoral laws disenfranchised many black voters in Alabama and many poor white voters as well. At this time, also, the Jim Crow laws were passed after Democrats regained control of the Southern legislatures. This meant that racial segregation was imposed in public facilities and retail stores in the South. It also included public transportation. Bus and train companies were said to have enforced strict seating policies, which separated blacks and whites on buses, trains, and other transportation. Additionally, school bus transportation was not readily available for black students in the South, and black education was always underfunded. As a young child, Parks was said to have gone to elementary school in Pine Level. The school buses took white students to their new schools, but black students had to walk. And racism was a part of Parks's life from a very young age. She has early memories of the kindness of white strangers, but there was significant racism around her at all times. Evidently, the KKK marched down the street in front of her house at one point, while her grandfather stood at the front door with a shotgun and the school that she went to, the Montgomery Industrial School, was burned twice by arsonists. It was also ostracized by the white communities surrounding it. Rosa was also repeatedly bullied by white children in her neighborhood. In 1932, Rosa married Raymond Parks and Raymond was a barber from Montgomery. He was also a member of the NAACP, which at the time was collecting money to support the defense of the Scottsboro Boys. The Scottsboro Boys was a group of black men who had been falsely accused of raping two white women. At the time, Rosa took many different jobs, working as a domestic worker and also as a hospital aide. But she did finish her high school studies in 1933. It is said that her husband supported this. Interestingly enough, though, at the time, only about 7% of Blacks had a high school diploma. 
By December 1943, Rosa became active in the civil rights movement and joined the Montgomery chapter of the NAACP which was the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Rosa was then elected secretary for the NAACP, which was considered a woman's job at the time. She continued this until 1957, working with the local NAACP leader, Edgar Nixon. And Rosa was doing very important work at that time. In 1944, while working as the secretary, she helped to investigate the gang rape of Racy Taylor, a black woman from Alabama. She helped to organize the committee for Equal Justice for Miss Racy Taylor, launching what was called the strongest campaign for equal justice to be seen in a decade. She continued her work as an anti-rape activist for five years when she helped organize protests in support of Gertrude Parks, a black woman who was raped by two white Montgomery police officers. She was also said to have been a member of the Communist Party and attended meetings with her husband. In the 1940s, Rosa and her husband were also members of the League of Women Voters. And then sometime around 1944, she held a brief job at Maxwell Air Force Base, in Montgomery, Alabama, which didn't permit racial segregation because it was federal property. She rode on the integrated trolley at that time and also worked as a housekeeper and a seamstress. One of the couples she worked for, Clifford and Virginia Durr, were politically liberal and became her friends, encouraging her in the summer of 1955 to attend the Highlander Folk School, an educational center for activism in workers' rights and racial equity. Parks was then mentored by the veteran organizer Septima Clark. Then in 1945, despite the Jim Crow laws and discrimination by the registrars, Rosa Parks succeeded in registering to vote on her third try. Then in August 1955, black teenager Emmett Till was brutally murdered while visiting relatives in Mississippi. And this was a flashpoint for civil rights leaders in the South and other places as well. Then on November 27, 1955, four days before she would make her stand on the bus, Rosa Parks attended a mass meeting in Montgomery to, uh, to address the Emmett Till case, as well as the recent murders of activist George W. Lee and Lamar Smith. It was said at the time that Rosa was deeply saddened and angry at the news about Emmett Till's case, particularly because Emmett's case garnered a lot more attention than any of the cases she and the Montgomery NAACP had worked on. And yet the two men who actually caused Emmett Till's death were still walking around free. So let's talk about her arrest and the bus boycott. In 1900, Montgomery passed a city ordinance, and this particular ordinance segregated bus passengers by race, and the drivers could assign seats to achieve this goal. According to the law, no passenger would be required to move or give up their seats and stand if the bus was crowded and no other seats were available. However, over time and custom, Montgomery bus drivers adopted the practice of requiring black people to move when there were no whites-only seats left. The first four rows of seats on each Montgomery bus were reserved for white people. Buses had colored sections that catered to black people. Generally, though, those seats were in the back of the bus. What was interesting, though, was black people usually composed about 75% of the people who were riding the buses. 
The sections were not fixed, but were determined by the placement of movable signs. Black people could sit in the middle rows until the white sections were filled. And as you can see, this is going to create quite a bit of problems, considering that so many black people had to ride the buses and the black sections were not proportionate to the number of black people and white people who were riding the buses. If more white people needed seats, black people had to move to the back, stand, or leave the bus. Black people could not sit across the aisle in the same row as white people, and the driver could move the sign or remove it altogether if they wanted to. If white people were already sitting in the front, black people had to board at the front to pay the fare, then get off the bus and re-enter it through the rear doors, which as you can see would be incredibly inconvenient and unfair. For years, the black community complained about this situation and Parks said, quote, my resisting being mistreated on the bus did not begin with that particular arrest. I did a lot of walking in Montgomery. Then in 1943, Rosa Parks boarded a bus and paid her fare. Then she moved to a seat, but the driver, James F. Blake, told her to follow the city rules and enter the bus from the back door. When Parks exited the bus to do as she was told, James Blake drove off without her. She was then forced to wait for the next bus and determined never to ride with that particular bus driver again. Then, after working all day, and as you can imagine, she was probably absolutely exhausted, she boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus, which was a General Motors old look bus belonging to the Montgomery City Lines. She got on that bus about 6 p.m. Thursday, December 1st, 1955, and she entered in downtown Montgomery. It was said that she paid her fare and sat in an empty seat in the first row of back seats that were usually reserved for blacks in the colored section. Near the middle of the bus, her row was directly behind the 10 seats that were reserved for white passengers. It is said that she didn't notice at first that the driver was the same man, James F. Blake, who left her in the rain in 1943. As the bus that Rosa was sitting on traveled along its route, all of the white seats quickly started to fill up but by the time the bus reached the third stop of the Empire Theater, several white passengers boarded. The bus driver noted that two or three of them were standing as the front of the bus had filled to capacity. The driver, as was custom by many drivers of that time, moved the colored section sign to behind Rosa Parks and demanded that at least four people who were already sitting there would have to give up their seats so that the white passengers could sit down. When recalling the events later, Rosa said, quote, when that white driver stepped back toward us, when he waved his hand and ordered us up and out of our seats, I felt a determination cover my body like a quilt on a winter night. By all accounts, Blake had said, quote, y'all better make it light on yourselves and let me have those seats. Three of them immediately stood up and complied. Parks, on the other hand, said, the driver wanted us to stand up, the four of us. We didn't move at the beginning, but he says, let me have those seats, and the three people moved, but I didn't. The black man sitting directly next to her gave up his seat, but Rosa refused to move. She did, in fact, eventually move towards the window seat, but she did not get up to move to the designated colored section. She later said about being asked to move to the rear of the bus that, quote, 
I thought of Emmett Till, a 14-year-old African-American who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store, whose killers were tried and acquitted, and I just couldn't go back. Again, the bus driver demanded that Parks get up, and she responded, I don't think I should have to stand up. The bus driver then called the police and asked them to arrest Rosa. It was obvious at that point that Rosa was determined not to get up and give up her seat, that she didn't have to because she was a human being and a citizen and she had rights too. Again, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat and the police officer arrested her. She was ultimately charged with a violation of Chapter 6, Section 11, Segregation Laws of the Montgomery City Code. It was interesting though because technically she had not taken a white-only seat. She had actually been in the colored section. She was bailed out of jail that evening by the president of the Montgomery chapter of the NAACP. And although many people think she was the first to originate this idea of protesting the segregation of a bus sit-in, other people had actually done it before her. So Rosa's arrest then influenced the Montgomery bus boycott. So members of the NAACP conferred with professors and members of the Women's Political Council about Rosa's case. They believed it was really important to seize on this opportunity. They stayed up all night creating these handbills, about 35,000 of them, announcing that they would be boycotting the bus system. And the Women's Political Council was actually the first group to officially endorse this boycott. On Sunday, December 4th, 1955, plans for this Montgomery bus boycott were announced. And they announced them at black churches in the area and on a front page article in the Montgomery Advertiser, hoping to spread the word so that as many people as possible could participate in this. They also had church rallies where those attending agreed unanimously to continue to boycott until they got the same level of treatment as the whites did. The very next day, Rosa Parks was tried on charges of disorderly conduct and violating a local ordinance. The trial only lasted about 30 minutes, where Rosa was found guilty and fined $10 plus $4 in court costs, which was the equivalent of about $140 in 2020. Parks appealed her conviction and formally challenged the legality of this racial segregation that she was subjected to. On the day of her trial, was when the WPC distributed the 35,000 leaflets about the bus boycott, the handbill actually said, quote, we are asking every Negro to stay off the buses Monday in protest of the arrest and trial. You can afford to stay out of school for one day. If you work, take a cab or walk. But please, children and grown-ups, don't ride the bus at all on Monday. Please stay off the buses Monday. Unfortunately, it rained that day, but the Black community persevered in their boycott of the bus system. Many people rode in carpools. Others traveled in Black-operated cabs who agreed to charge the same fare as the bus fee that day. And about 40,000 Black commuters walked that day, some as far as 20 miles to get to school or work. That evening... This boycott was announced as a tremendous success, and people gathered in their local community centers and churches to talk about the success and to discuss other boycotting strategies. Later that night, about 50 leaders of the Black community gathered to discuss actions in response to Park's arrest. 
Parks was considered an ideal test case for this against the city and the state in order to really get at the heart of the segregation laws that were responsible. Parks was considered the ideal plaintiff by many people at that time for test cases against the city and state segregation laws. And the reason for this is because she was seen as this very responsible, mature woman in the community with a very good reputation. She was married and employed and was considered quiet and dignified and politically savvy as well. She was also regarded as one of the finest citizens of Montgomery, not one of the finest Negro citizens, but one of the finest citizens of Montgomery, according to local accounts at the time. Rose's court case was being slowed down on appeals though, through the Alabama courts on the way to federal appeal, and the process could have taken years. Community leaders were concerned though that holding a boycott together for that length of time would be a tremendous strain. And in the end, the black residents of Montgomery continued the boycott for about 381 days. During this time, dozens of public buses stood idle for months, which severely damaged the bus transit company's finances until the city repealed its law requiring segregation on public buses following the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in Browder v. Gale, which called this segregation on buses unconstitutional. Rosa herself was not included as a plaintiff in the Browder decision because the attorney, Fred Gray, concluded the courts would perceive they were attempting to circumvent her prosecution on her specific charges working their way through the Alabama state court system. However, Rosa played a tremendously important part in raising international awareness of the plight of Black people in the civil rights movement. After her famous arrest, Parks became an icon of the civil rights movement. But she suffered many hardships, though, as a result of her actions. She lost her job at the department store that she'd been working at, and her husband lost his job at the Maxwell Air Force Base where he worked as a barber. As a result, though, Parks traveled quite a bit and spoke a lot about civil rights issues. By 1957, though, Raymond and Rosa Parks had to leave Montgomery for Hampton, Virginia, mostly because she was unable to find any gainful employment. She also disagreed with many leaders of the Montgomery's civil rights movement about how to proceed with this. And she was constantly receiving death threats, which must have been tremendously stressful. When they finally got to Virginia, Rosa found a job as a hostess in an inn at Hampton Institute, a historically black college. Later, though, at the urging of her brother and sister-in-law, Rosa and Raymond Parks and her mother, moved to Detroit. It is said that the city of Detroit attempted to kind of cultivate a progressive reputation at that time, but Rosa was still encountering many signs of discrimination against Black people, schools were effectively segregated, and services in Black neighborhoods were also substandard. Parks rendered crucial assistance in campaigns to get people in Congress that would help with the situation, and she participated in a great deal of activism nationally during the mid-1960s. She traveled to support the Selma to Montgomery marches, the Freedom Now Party, and the Lowndes County Freedom Organization. She also befriended Malcolm X, who she regarded as a personal hero to her. Like many Black people, though, in the Detroit area, Rosa Parks remained very concerned about housing issues. She lived in a neighborhood called Virginia Park, which had been compromised by highway construction and urban renewal. By 1962, 
about 10,000 structures in Detroit had been destroyed at the cost of displacing about 43,000 people. About 70% of them were black people. Parks lived just a mile from the center of a riot that took place in Detroit in 1967, and she considered housing discrimination to be a major factor that provoked this riot. In the aftermath of this, she collaborated with members of the League of Revolutionary Black Workers and the Republic of New Africa. She wanted to raise awareness of police abuse during the conflicts. She served as a People's Tribunal in 1967, which investigated the killing of three young Black men by police in that uprising. After that, it was said to have been known as the Algiers Motel incident, and she helped form the Virginia Park District Council, which was put together to help rebuild the area. She also took part in a council which facilitated building the only Black-owned shopping center in the country and took part in the Black Power Movement, attending Philadelphia Black Power Conferences and Black political conventions, as well as supporting and visiting the Black Panther School in Oakland. By the 1970s, Rosa Parks worked to help with freedom of political prisoners in the U.S. She helped found the Detroit chapter of the Joanne Little Defense Committee, which also worked in support of helping to free political prisoners. However, she was suffering great losses in her personal life. Her family was plagued by illness, she and her husband suffered stomach ulcers for years, and both of them required hospitalization at various points. She wasn't wealthy, though, despite her fame and constant speaking engagements. She donated most of the money from speaking to civil rights causes and lived on her staff salary as well as her husband's pension, although their medical bills were building up very quickly and were causing financial strain that required her to accept church group and admirers' assistance. Ultimately, Rosa's husband died of throat cancer in 1977, and her brother, which was her only sibling, died of cancer in November of that year. Parks also suffered some broken bones when she fell on an icy sidewalk. This caused her considerable and reoccurring pain. She decided at that point then to move with her mother into an apartment for senior citizens. She also nursed her mother, Leona, who died in 1979 at the age of 92 through the final stages of cancer and geriatric dementia. In the 1980s, Rosa Parks was widowed and without immediate family. She had time to rededicate herself to civil rights and educational organizations. She founded many other important scholarship foundations, as well as the Rosa and Raymond Parks Institute for Self-Development and served on the board of advocates of Planned Parenthood. Her health was beginning to decline as she entered her 70s, and this influenced her ability to devote so much energy to the causes that she supported. By the 1990s, Parks published her story in autobiography aimed at younger readers, and then by age 81, she was robbed and assaulted in her home in central Detroit in 1994. Parks was treated then at a local hospital for her injuries, but she suffered anxiety when she returned to her small house following the ordeal. In 1999, it was said that she filmed a cameo appearance on this television series, Touched by an Angel. This was her last appearance on screen, and she began to suffer from health problems due to her age. She received an eviction notice in 2002 after failing to pay her rent for a considerable amount of time. Obviously, she was struggling. She was in extremely poor health. And by 2016, her former residence in Detroit was threatened with demolition. Ultimately, though, activists arranged to have the house disassembled and moved to Germany, where it was partially restored. It has since served as a museum honoring Rosa Parks. The house was moved back to the United States in 2018. 
where it has been exhibited since. Rosa Parks died of natural causes October 24, 2005. She was 92. She and her husband never had children, and she outlived her only sibling. As a result of her efforts in life, city officials in Montgomery and Detroit announced October 27, 2005 that the front seats of their city buses would be reserved for black ribbons in honor of Rosa Parks until her funeral. Her coffin was then flown to Montgomery and taken in a horse-drawn hearse to the St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church. She lay in repose at the altar on October 29, 2005. She was dressed in the uniform of a church deaconess. The memorial services were then held there the following morning. By the evening, the casket was transported to Washington, D.C., and then transported by a bus, similar to the one in which she made her protest, where she was set to lie in the rotunda at the U.S. Capitol. Rosa Parks is the 31st person since the founding of the practice in 1852, and the first American who had not been a U.S. government official, and the second private person to be honored this way. She was the first woman and the second black person to lie in honor at the Capitol, and an estimated 50,000 people viewed the casket there. The event was also broadcast on TV October 31st, 2005, and a memorial service was held that afternoon at the Metropolitan AME Church in Washington, D.C. Ultimately, her body and casket were both returned to Detroit for two days, where she lay in repose at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Her funeral was seven hours long and was held November 2nd, 2005. She has many legacies and honors that are absolutely dedicated to her incredible work for the civil rights movement, as well as many other causes that were near and dear to her heart. And I want to add one final article that kind of talks about some of the interesting facts in summary about Rosa Parks. And this one's called Rosa Parks Refused to Give Up Her Bus Seat 64 Years Ago. Here are 15 surprising facts about her. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks was arrested for failing to give up her bus seat to a white passenger. Her protest that day eventually sparked a 13-month bus boycott, which culminated with the Supreme Court declaring segregation on public transport unconstitutional. Parks was an advocate for racial equality from a very young age and continued to fight for justice until she passed away in 2005. While she is best known for her bus protest, she has shown courage and perseverance for many other less-known ways. She served on the board of Planned Parenthood and even sued hip-hop duo Outkast for using her name without permission. Her life was full of grit and hard work, and Insider has collected 15 lesser-known facts to celebrate her legacy. Both of Rosa Parks' grandparents were former slaves and strong advocates for racial equality. She grew up on her grandparents' farm in Pine Level, Alabama, and remembered seeing the Ku Klux Klan march by her street as her father stood outside with a shotgun. She was in the small percentage of African Americans who earned high school diplomas. She completed hers at the time when less than 7% of African Americans were earning high school diplomas. She actually dropped out when she was 16 to care for her dying grandmother, but with her husband's encouragement, at the age of 19, she went back to school and earned her diploma in 1933. She became active in the civil rights movement 12 years before she refused to give up her seat. She became active in the movement in 1943 and also joined the NAACP in Montgomery, later serving as its secretary. 
Park spent many years traveling through Alabama and interviewing victims of discrimination. As the secretary of the Alabama State Conference of the NAACP, Parks would travel throughout Alabama speaking with victims of discrimination and those who had seen lynchings. She reported these stories and shared the personal accounts with her team at the NAACP. The bus driver who called the police and arrested her had actually given her a hard time more than 10 years earlier. In 1943, Parks boarded a bus driven by James Blake. He told her she had to pay her fare at the back of the bus, and as soon as she hopped off, he drove away. He told her she had to pay her fare and then get off the bus and get on again in the back. As soon as she got off the bus, he drove away. Parks then actively tried to avoid getting on the bus with Blake for all future times, but on December 1st, 1955, he was the driver who ended up calling the police. If I had been paying attention, she wrote in her autobiography, I wouldn't even have gotten on that bus. Parks wasn't the first to refuse to give up her seat on a Montgomery bus. A 15-year-old girl was. In March 1955, nine months before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat, 15-year-old Claudette Colvin refused to give up hers on a Montgomery bus, and she was arrested. Before her, Aurelia Browder, Mary Louise Smith, and Susie McDonald had all challenged bus segregation laws in Alabama. But Parks was the one who was considered an accurate and better representation to fight this issue in the Black community. Despite reports that Parks had not left her seat because she was tired, she disputed this account in her autobiography. Parks explained in her autobiography that she was not physically tired that day. Instead, she emphasized, I was not old, although some people have an image of me as being old then. I was 42. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving ins. Her arrest inspired the Montgomery bus boycott, which lasted 381 days. On the day of Park's trial, people were encouraged to walk, taxi, or share rides to work in protest of the arrest. This prompted organizers to plan a boycott, which became Montgomery Bus Boycott, and lasted ultimately for 381 days. It was successful, and the Supreme Court ultimately declared segregation on public transport unconstitutional. Not giving up her seat wasn't Park's only arrest. A year later, she was jailed once again. On February 22, 1956, 114 protesters, including Rosa Parks, were arrested for going against the bus segregation laws during the Montgomery bus boycott. The arrest was an important opportunity to gain media attention and continue propelling the boycott further. During the bus boycott, Parks and her husband lost their jobs, received death threats, and eventually moved to Detroit. Parks worked as a seamstress in a department store but was fired after her arrest, although she was told it was not because of the boycott. She also received endless phone calls and death threats. In 1957, she and her husband and mother packed up everything and moved to Detroit. She also served on the board of the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Once in Detroit, Parks worked as a secretary for U.S. Representative John Conyers' congregational office, as well as the board of Planned Parenthood. She was also named one of Time Magazine's 20 most influential people of the 20th century. Bill Clinton also awarded Parks the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest honor given by the U.S. state's executive branch. The next year, she was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal, the highest award given by the U.S. legislative branch. Rosa Parks actually filed a lawsuit against hip-hop group OutKast after they released a song titled Rosa Parks. 
1998, the hip-hop duo released a song titled Rosa Parks with a chorus singing, Ah ha, hush that fuss, everybody moved to the back of the bus. Parks filed a lawsuit against the duo the following year, arguing defamation and false advertising because the group used her name without her permission. The group fought back, claiming its song was protected by the First Amendment. The case was eventually settled in 2005, with the group agreeing to work with Rosa Parks and the Raymond Parks Institute to help develop educational programs and inspire today's youth. When Parks died, 50,000 people came to Washington, D.C. to see her casket. She was 92 when she died and buried between her mother and husband at Detroit's Woodlawn Cemetery. In fact, the chapel where the services were held was eventually renamed the Rosa L. Parks Freedom Chapel. There is an iconic statue of Parks in the United States Capitol's National Statuary Hall. The life-size statue honors Parks, who is the first black woman to be honored with a statue in the U.S. Capitol. Parks once wrote, We are here on earth to live, grow up, and do what we can to make this world a better place for all people to enjoy freedom. And she was absolutely an incredible woman indeed. All of the stories, articles, and information we used for today's show can be found in the show notes. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can write us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stories. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye.